So the text for today's sermon is Psalm chapter 27. We've sung it together. Now listen to it as being written in the context of a man who was a warrior, a fighter, a man who fought off enemies as a way of life in a time when you had to fight back or be killed. Think of it when you hear the word stronghold, a place to stay alive. Think of it when you hear stumble and fall, which probably would mean certain death as a warrior. Think of it when hiding in shelter. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't waiting just horrible? (laughs) And to make it worse, on the way here today, I stuck behind a car with a bumper sticker that said, you know, be patient, student driver. And in my heart, I'm, I'm just raging with frustration, not realizing the tax that we'll soon be going through of waiting, waiting, Waiting on the Lord. And and we're groomed in our society to realize that even every moment of idleness in which we're not getting exactly what we should get is a wasted moment of time. It's what we're going to see in our text 
is that waiting and waiting upon the Lord is the natural response of the Christian, of those who believe and see that the Lord is our light, that the Lord and the Lord alone is our salvation. Well, then what is our natural response is that we wait and wait for Him to act rather than us acting out of our own strength, out of our own will, out of our own desires. So that's our main thrust that we have to get through is that the Lord is your salvation, that the Lord is your light. If you don't get that, all of the waiting stuff is just humanistic efforts on your own behalf. But when you come and grapple with the true fact that Christ and Christ alone can be your light, that Christ and Christ alone can be your salvation, well then we're going to see that in our first couple verses. That the Lord is your salvation. And then we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. And see that no matter what the trials are. No matter, no matter what else is going on around you. When you have the first matter settled. That the Lord and the Lord alone is your salvation. No matter the trials. And we'll get to our final point. We will wait. And we will wait upon the Lord. So let's go ahead and pray. And I said God would bless this endeavor. Heavenly Father, we are so impatient. And I, I tremble to think how much of our impatience is rooted in the fact that we don't truly see you as the sole actor in your creation. How we prop our own hearts up as being able to accomplish so much, God. And thus we are impatient rather than waiting and trusting in faith that you will act. So God, we are now waiting and trusting in faith that you will act, that you will speak through your word. And so we come just beggars groveling to you, asking that you would bless bless us, God, through your word. Amen. Let's go back to verse 1. Chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now in our backyard, we have a, a little bit of grass and a massive infestation of weeds. Is what we have. And there's this one little plant, Creeping Charlie, which, which we need a wall on, on our, one of our walls because it emigrated in and then just spread everywhere. So it's, it's, it's by the apple trees. There it is, just suffocating them up. It's in the garden. It's under the trampoline. It's on the north side. It's on the south side of the yard. It is everywhere. And this little, little plant begins to spread everywhere. And this, it's the same thing for the gospel truth. It will come, and when we realize that the gospel is true, it will come and infiltrate every aspect of our lives. So there's no place then that remains untouched by the gospel when we see that it is true, that it is God who is redeeming us and bringing us love into our hearts. So look here at the psalmist. Here's proclaiming. He's proclaiming that the truth is that the Lord is his light and that the Lord alone is his salvation. So then you see the implications of that. Who am I going to fear? And, and you see this kind of in the parallel. So in, in English, how we say we indicate poetry by rhythmic rhyming, right? Uh, an old, there was an old house in Paris that was covered with vines. 
Live, uh, that was covered with vines lived two little girls in two straight lines. In two straight lines, they broke their bread and brushed their teeth and went to bed. And you know it's poetry by the rhythmic rhyming that's going on. So in Hebrew, what they do, it's kind of hard to rhyme when you're going all the time. So they, they make parallels with what they end up doing. And so they have this, the second one will often elaborate the first one that's going on. So you see that the Lord is your light and your salvation. Okay, well, but David, what does that mean? Well, okay, let me show you. It means that the Lord is the stronghold of my life. As Kevin perfectly mentioned, that this is the place of where I'm safe and secure. So what does it mean then for the Lord to be your light? When you're in remote location... And there is, and it's so dark, you're waving your hand in front of your face. You're vulnerable. Uh, You have no bearings about you. You take three steps and you're lost. We had this, uh, we were traveling through Nepal and we were in some Nepalese jungle traveling through. And when the sun went down, whatever hut you were in, that's where you stayed. Because it was so incredibly dark, unless the moon was shining, it was so incredibly dark. You could go like this and not see your hand at all. And there was tigers roaming around. So you just stay in your hut and you realize how incredibly uh, vulnerable you are without light. And we know that many things will fail us. When we turn to them being our light. If the sun's our light, well, it's going to fail us half the time. If our emotions are our light, well, they're going to blow us around like the currents of the ocean. When achievement is your light in life, well, then you find that it's never bright enough, right? But when the Lord is your light, then He's steadfast and sure. He's always leading you on the way in which you would have you go. He's never flickering. He's never dimming down where you need to add another log onto the fire. And He's constantly before you. Sometimes really bright to get your attention. Sometimes very soft and gentle to lead you through trials and through pain. The Lord's not only light, but He's also your salvation. And this Semitic group of words has to do with God just uh, saving His people, bringing them out of bondage, bringing them out of slavery, and delivering them out of trouble. So this, this same word grouping is also used in Exodus 14, right um, after the crossing of the Red Sea. Moses writes, that, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. You also see this in Judges, when God acts, but He acts through someone else. He acts through a judge. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And then also, Second uh, Kings 19, when the Assyrians are coming to invade and Hezekiah has this choice. Is he going to turn to Egypt for deliverance and salvation, or is he going to turn to the Lord? And very rightly, he goes into the temple and prostrates himself before the Lord. And he says, so now, O Lord, our God, save us. Please, from this hand, that all of the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So the Lord and the Lord is our light and our salvation. Well, let's see the setting that's going on when, when David is writing this. Go to verse 2 and look at this. 
When evils assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war rise against me, arise against me, yet I will be confident. And look, look at his faith in the midst of all of this. When evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, the Lord is my salvation and my light. Though an army, an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? For the Lord is my salvation and my light. And Kevin so perfectly mentioned that David's a man of war. And his inclination is to fight. Like, David, aren't you the one who killed a lion with your bare hands? And you killed a bear with your bare hands. You're the one who killed Goliath and cut, cut off his head and raised it up in absolute victory and triumph over the enemies of God. Aren't you the one who raided all the Philistine cities? Aren't you the one who fled bravely from Saul? And he's wise enough to know that it is not he who brings salvation through these situations. And it's the crucible in these moments. It's in the crucible of life and death. That he fights this desire to deliver himself. Which, let's be honest, in our culture, that's what's lauded up. Is when, when we can make the deal, when we can buy the property, when we can deliver a nation like our forefathers, when we can do all of these things, you read through history and it's men and women of action. It's Richard the Lionheart, Joan of Arc, men and women of action. And that's who we revere. Not surprisingly, the script and the narrative of the world is far different than the one we see in Scripture. If it's the same... You guys are wasting your time, to be honest. It's far different. And we have to, as we live in this world and we swim in these waters, we read that. And we have to fight that inclination that David here is fighting, that he is not going to deliver himself. And so maybe you're actually sitting here and thinking, well, I'm not the one. It was David. I'm not the one who's in the caves of Engedi. Fleeing away from Saul. I'm not the one who's in a valley looking out over a camp full of men who actually want to kill me as though, as I killed Goliath. Alright. True. But, you do stay up late at night. And you worry. You worry about the, the spiritual state of your children and where they'll land up or where they're going. Even in those moments, you must remind yourself, it is the Lord and the Lord alone who is my light and my salvation. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who is their light and their salvation. I cannot save them. For this little cell of cancer that's now spreading through your whole body, you rehearse this truth to yourself again and again that it is the Lord and the Lord alone who is our light and our salvation. Or when your parents who raised you and loved you and held you and cared for you and nurtured you no longer remember your name, 
It is the Lord and the Lord alone who is your light and your salvation. And I see this in the text. And if you're anything like me, you see it in the text and you go, oh, that's beautiful. And then your eyes turn away from the text and you completely forget about it. So I get anxious rather than trusting. And I want to save my own children, which seems tangible and secure, rather than entrusting them into the hands of God. And I want to be a man of action. I want to charge ahead and take things into my own hands rather than entrusting them again into the hands of God. Just look at the world around us. They are longing for someone to deliver them. They are longing for someone to, to save them. And we look to the government. Why is everything political now? Well, because we look to the government to deliver us and save us from any, any instance whatsoever. And when they are put so highly on that plateau, plateau, of course everything's political. Everything's political when they're the ones who deliver us and save us from any fault or failure in our lives. Or I want to be safe from loneliness, so I, I hook up with some people. Yeah, I know it's not going to last, but... At least I'm not alone through the night. Or I want to be saved from my anxiety. So then I, what do I do? I turn to drinking. I turn to drugs. I just look at my phone for hours at a time. Check out. So I want you to see that even if you're not a Christian, not all of you are Christians, even if you're not a Christian, this text applies to you. And because you're going to be confronted with this great enemy of death, you cannot get around it. And it rules over you like a tyrant, doesn't it? All of your thoughts, much of your actions, you cannot flee it. Even your sin in your life, it dictates everything that you do, whether you realize it or you're not. And you can't save yourself. And you already know that. Just look at how many times you've tried to clean up your own life. And then you scrub your conscience clean and then you think you're fine. But you know deep down, you cannot save yourself. It never works. And this is the beauty of Christianity, my friends. That in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our shame and all of our sin, that God saves us and that He and He alone is our light and our salvation. That in Christ you have nothing to fear. Nothing that you should be afraid of. But apart from Christ, you have much to fear. Your conscience, your sin, God Himself when He comes and visits you. So then what does it look like? Okay, we see that the Lord is our light and our salvation in the midst of all this calamity then. So what does the heart look like? Well, it looks like this. Turn to verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord and I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire... In his temple. Notice what David's not asking for. He's not asking for his enemies to be removed. In the midst of all of this. In the midst of this crucible of life and death. He wants to enjoy. He wants to envelop himself into the presence of God. When we see that. Well we want a situation removed. We want this ridiculous student driver in front of us. To just get off the road. That's what we want. And imagine how your life would be different if in these moments you're seemingly able to rise above it all 
and just be ushered into the presence of God. Well, it starts with this singular focus. Notice this single focus that David has. One thing. He's not divided in his desires or his affections. All of his concerns and all of the distractions of going on. He has one focus. And all of his affections are bound up into one affection. And that affection is set upon the Lord. And this is the peace that you will have. When you realize that it is the Lord who is your light and your salvation, then you have nothing to fear. The enemies are around you. The cancer is raging away in your body. And then you can go, God, I just want to be in your presence. Let me dwell in your presence. Your friends desert you or your promising career is now nothing but more than a job. And it is your desire To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in His shelter. Let me come to verse 7 here. And this amazing transformation happens. It says if David is overwhelmed with the reality of God's redeeming salvation. His delivering love that's happening. Of this joy that is bursting forth out of being in the presence of God. And this whole time, you look through these verses, look at the pronouns, he's just talking about God, about God, about God. And then this switch happens in his heart when he begins to realize, God, I am in your presence. In the midst of all of this, I am in your presence. And then this switch happens and he begins to address God himself. Hear, O Lord, verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, my Heart says you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your away, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. I want this crying and this pleading that you see in David, I want that to be in your heart, to be reverberating in your heart as well. Because anyone can talk about God. Buddhists, they can talk about God. Your atheist neighbor, he can talk about God. The imam, the imam on the mosque, on Broadway, he can talk about God. But only his people who have their hearts softened and transformed begin to have impassioned pleas to God. Some parents, don't just talk about God with your children. That's a good start. Let them see you talking to God. Let them see your impassioned pleas to God. Don't just talk about God in their presence. Let them see your transformed heart. Don't fill them with information. Show them that your life has been radically transformed. As we see with David here in this psalm. For much of you, I would, I would just encourage you in this. Spend less time learning about God and more time communing with Him. We love theological precision. Good. Commune with God. Be with Him. Worship Him early in the morning, late at night. Just delight to be in His presence through His Word. And that is where you will learn about the redeeming love of God.
commune with God. So something begins to happen then when you realize that it's, it's the Lord who is your salvation and it is the Lord who is the one who will deliver you. One, you realize, I can't do it myself, right? So we're not up here to say that Jesus Christ is the best out of all of these options. And you have a myriad of options and Jesus Christ is just the one and I should somehow articulate that Jesus is the best option. No, he alone is your only hope. He alone can be your only light. He alone can be your only salvation through Christ and through Christ alone. And the world's going to lie to you and yourself, you're going to lie to yourself and say, oh, I can do it. But you just end up in this hellish torment where you realize I can't do it. So one, you realize you can't do it yourself. So then the outflow of that is that you wait then. You wait for him to accomplish it. Let's go to our first, our last verse here. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the posture the patient heart is the posture of someone who is joyfully resolved in their heart that God alone is their light, that God alone is their salvation, that God alone is the one who is going to deliver us. And so then with patient eagerness, we wait. We wait upon the Lord for He is the one who is going to free us. He's the one who is going to change our spouses. We don't have to do it. He's the one who's going to redeem our children. He, the Lord alone is going to be the only one who redeems us from our addiction. And then it is the Lord alone who is going to receive all of the credit and all of the glory. So look at this theme of waiting. It is throughout all of Scripture. We dare to be a Daniel, brave and strong, right? Well, look at Adam. And Eve, they're cast out of the garden. And what do they do? They wait. They wait for these promises of God to come true. Abram and Sarai are given this promise of a son. What do they do? They wait. They're old. No, I don't have a little bit of time. No, no, no. You're going to wait. Do you know why? God received much more glory by them just waiting. Don't you realize I'm barren? Yes. You laughed at me. No, I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. You laughed. Hannah, she comes and pleads her heart before the Lord. She's a barren lady. She pleads her case before the Lord and she waits. David, the anointed king, right? This man of action that we talk about. Well, do you realize he was anointed king before he killed Goliath? He spent his most productive years of his life waiting. He had opportunities, but he refused to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He just waited and waited and waited. The prophet Isaiah, what did he do? What he waited. He was given the promise that the Messiah was going to come in the flesh. And what did he do? He waited even beyond his lifetime. He waited and waited and waited. And then it came true. And Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time, creation is waiting and waiting. And the Christ comes in the fullness of time. And then what does Jesus do? He waits. 30 years. And then the crowds are gathering around him and he tells them, no, 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 wait, wait. It's going to be glorious. Just wait. My hour has not yet come. Then go to Acts and kind of work with Galatians and you see that Paul is saved on his way to Damascus and 
34 AD, and it's in 47, 14 years later. He waits 14 years before his first missionary journey. God has Paul to wait and to wait and to wait. Even creation itself is groaning. Look in Romans 8. Even creation itself is groaning and awaiting to be set free from the bondage of decay. And this is what we are doing when we come to the table and we partake in it and we proclaim His death until He comes again. This is what we're doing when we gather together. We are fixing our eyes upon Christ in hopeful expectation and in waiting that He will come. Look in Revelation 1, that He, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be the glory and dominion forever. Amen. Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds in every eye. We'll see Him. We are waiting and awaiting this moment to happen. When Christ will come back, faithful and true, riding on His horse to deliver us from our sins once and for all, and to punish those who are still in their sins. And this is why we wait for the Lord. Wrap it up here. This is why we wait for the Lord. As we are... Waiting for God to act, we are expressing our faith that He will act. That makes sense. It's an act of faith to wait. Because we are putting it then into the hands of God, knowing that He will do it. And so when we do it in these small things, of telling our kids to be patient, telling our own hearts to be patient, when we do it in these smaller things, what we are doing is living out the true faith that in this there will be this grand event that will come, and we are waiting that what God will come and redeem us once and for all, and deliver us from our sins, and take us to a place that never again will we be surrounded by our enemies, or will trials and trouble overcome us? No, for we shall forever be in His presence. So beloved, see and taste that the Lord is good. And that the Lord and the Lord alone is your salvation. And live that faith out by waiting and waiting upon Him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We are so humbled to be called your children. We ask that you would guard our hearts and our minds and all of our affections to be set upon you. That it is our one thing, God, our one desire that we would seek after, that we would dwell in the house of the Lord, God, that we would dwell in your house all the days of our life. God, we wait now with eager anticipation for that which is seen by faith to be seen with our eyes and when we will see your Son face to face, dear God. Amen. Amen.